Welcome to the Art of Strategic Reaction podcast. I'm Kyle Brost, a strategist and changemaker. I'm the CEO of Spark Policy Institute, founder and principal at Choice Strategy Group, and contributor to Forbes, Thrive Global, and Influencer. I lead at the intersection of strategy and impact, where I turn ordinary individuals into strategists and changemakers. Let's get started. Hey folks, this is Kyle Brost here with another episode of The Art of Strategic Reaction. Excited to have on with us today, Bonnie Hageman. She is the author of Leading with Vision, does a lot of work with leaders in an executive coaching capacity and training, and excited to hear about how she got to this place and her thoughts on leadership and the impact that having a strong vision has on leading people and leading organizations. So Bonnie, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Kyle. It's an honor to be on your podcast. Yeah, absolutely. We're excited to have you on. So can you tell us a little bit about how you got to this place of leading with vision? Absolutely. It's been a long journey, but I, you know, I started out in public education and moved early in my career from teaching high school English into corporate education. So I had a master's degree and in counseling and psychology and, and then quickly moved into career coaching and working with mid-level managers. And so by the time I was 26 years old, I was in the corporate world, leading teams at myself, as well as um, helping other leaders become better leaders. So I started, uh, you know, in that early phase of working with mid-level, and then I then I moved to where I, uh, you know, over time I started working my way up the chain until I, I today I work at the top of the house with CEOs, the boards, the C-suite, and also developing high potentials to get ready for those uh, C-suite positions. So, you know, it's been a journey, but I've enjoyed working with leaders at every level. And that has really shaped the work that I've done. And as you will see, you know, in my bio that I have um, a consulting firm, it's called Executive Development Associates. And that is what we do is we do custom executive development in in medium and large organizations and so through that work and through our research which this company i acquired i acquired it in 2007 i think we're going to talk about that a little bit but when um the, but the company was here before me and the founder started doing research in the early 80s and that research is trends in executive development. So we track trends over time and we do it every two to three years. And that is where this leading with vision came from is this is the trend. For the last two rounds of research that we had, the one that just came out in 2019 and the one before that that came out in 2016, leading with vision or, or creating a compelling vision and engaging other people around it was one of the top competencies that we find leaders need it's in the t- it's in the top two for the last two years or two rounds interesting so so how are you going about and collecting that information how are you learning that that's one of the top competencies well we have a, a large group of clients and people that we're connected to because of our 36 years in in the business and so we reach out to the heads of custom or the heads of executive development inside of these corporations. And if they're a smaller corporation, we will often engage with the chief human resource officer or the CEO or uh, one of the line leaders, like a business unit leader. 
And they're the ones who tell us, you know, here's what's going on with our leaders. Here's what we think we're going to need in the next three years. And here's what we're missing. Gotcha. So they're giving you direct feedback about kind of their perspective and view on on where there's opportunity in leadership. Absolutely. So we, we ask the question, we, we say, let's look ahead. Let's look three years out. You know, what do you see that you're going to need and what is missing from that, from your current workforce? So this idea of vision, I mean, sometimes it feels like this kind of kitschy term that gets thrown around a lot. What does it really mean? If we're talking about vision, what is vision really referring to? Well, vision is the positive, or let me rephrase this. Vision is a picture of a positive future state. So if we want to create a compelling vision, it's imagining what the future can look like and then painting that picture so well that other people can see it. So a visionary leader is one who doesn't just say, hey, if I keep going north on I-35, I'm going to end up in the next major city. That's where the road's already going. That's not visionary leadership. Visionary leadership is saying, where do we need a road? And so if then I'm, if I- laying the tracks. So I, I really like that idea. If I'm a leader and I'm trying to create a vision, how do I know if I have a vision that's going to be compelling enough? What, what tells me that I have, that I've hit on the right thing? When I coach leaders, what I tell them is, look, you just have to come up with the, the concept of where you think you need to go. So we're going to base that on information. So you don't just, you know, sit in a room and dream something up. Instead, you start looking at trends. I I have a whole talk about trends and the importance of that and why that's what helps you come up with the vision. But if the if the leader will just half bake it, that then bring in the workforce to help finish baking that vision. Then, you know, when you have a compelling vision, because as as they throw out this half baked vision and people start giving feedback you start to see what's sticking and what isn't sticking. Hmm. And so that you paint the picture together, but it has to start with leadership. It cannot be just, we're going to throw it out there for everyone to decide. The CEO, the person in charge needs to come up with the initial vision. And, and why is that? Why does that have to start with the leader? Well, people need leadership. They do. And so, it, you know, every, if you're in an organization, you know, you're sort of waiting for where does leadership want to go? I'm here to work. I want to do a good job. Where do you want to go? So if you're just asking me, then I might be as an employee afraid I'm going to get it wrong. I don't know what the answer is that you want. So, you know, I could, I could guess the wrong thing. I certainly don't want to be responsible for taking a company in the wrong direction. But that leader has to paint the picture of where they want the company to go and then get everyone else to help them figure out what that final vision really looks like. So what would you say to a leader who has that same, that same fear, that same question? What if I get it wrong as a leader? You might. That's what I would say. You might get it wrong. But not having a compelling vision will hurt you just as much or maybe more than not having it. And the example I like to use is BlackBerry. You know, when I give a talk about visionary leadership, I always ask the audience, how many of you used to have a BlackBerry? 
and you know we get a lot of the audience raising their hands and then i say okay how many of you still have a blackberry and i might get one or two now i have hope for blackberry let me just say that up front because i think their their technology is the most secure smartphone technology available so they could pivot and maybe they will i hope they do but that when you do the research on what happened to blackberry you see that they were very myopic. They were looking internal and not external at what was going on. So they didn't have a compelling vision for the future and therefore lost market share at a very rapid pace. Hmm. So one tidbit in there is if you're crafting, if you're trying to craft this compelling vision, it can't be too internally focused. Absolutely. You have to craft a vision, for, get in front of the trend. Like I did a, my first book was Decades of Differences, and it was about generational differences, but I did it with a demographer, Ken Gronbeck. And Ken and I, he, we were talking about the generational shift. So we were talking about demographics plus leadership together, which is why we wrote the book together. But Ken gives this story about how he was running a marketing company. And the marketing company's primary client was a motorcycle co company, a J Japanese motorcycle company. And that motorcycle company sold most of their motorcycles to young men around between ages of 18 and 23. And he said, one day the phones really stopped ringing. And the company started calling and saying, did you stop running our ads? And so he checked and he said, no, they're all running. Everything's the same but they just started losing business at a rapid pace. And Ken, as a marketing firm, went out of business. This was $10 million a year business. He went out of business because of this. And so later he went back and did a lot of research to figure out what happened. And what happened was the demographic shift. There were, Gen X was coming into that age group and there were just a lot less Gen Xers. And so that was a trend that he didn't see. And so that's, that's why we have to look outside. We have to look at the trends and get in front of the trend. Like for example, today we might get in front of the trend of the aging population. Then you, your business, you know that business is going to run into your company instead of you lagging. Yeah, it makes sense. So there's, it seems like though that there's uh, a couple of dynamics here. So one, there is this certain level of acceptable risk in terms of setting this vision. If you're trying to get ahead of a trend and and be there when it hits, uh, you're taking some some risk. You're making some assumptions. Um, how big do you make those assumptions if you want to craft a compelling vision? Well, you want to take a calculated risk. You know, I had someone talking about. Uh, gambling the other day and they said you know there's there's a way to play blackjack which you can leave every time without losing any money and they went on to explain how to do it which I will not share with everyone but <laughs> in the um, in the process it, this was a CEO and he said I I said you like to gamble at work and he's you know with acquisitions and such and he said, I always take a calculated risk. And that's exactly the way to think about it as a leader is to take a calculated risk. So do all you can do to, to mitigate the risk. But there's no question you will have to take risk. And there is no question that it might not work. We don't know that it's going to work. All we can do is do all we can to make sure that it 
does work. I like that. So if one question I have, though, is what does this vision actually look like? I mean, we know what a vision looks like when it's up on a wall somewhere. Mm-hmm. But say I'm, say I'm this leader, I'm sitting here, I'm thinking about these things being said, and I want to go craft my vision. What's the, actual, the t- most tangible first thing I should do? Well, the first thing is to spend time really thinking about where the company needs to go. So just don't be afraid to sit and think a while or walk and think or gather some people together to think. Because, you know, a lot of times we're so busy doing, we don't stop and think. And in today's work environment with technology, we need to spend a lot more time thinking. So stop and think, where does the company need to go? Really get strategic about it. And then paint the picture in your own mind of what that could look like for your company. That's the first step. So just, you know, build the whole picture. Like what I have CEOs do is I have them write it all out. And I'll say, write it out as if you're coming to work. And I will have them do this. They will say, you know, they walk in and I walked in today and I'd give you an example of a a person I was working with in construction. He said, I drove up to the work site and I saw the drone sitting down in its, in its holder because it had just checked the inventory for the day. And it's reporting back to the university students who are helping us as interns on this project. So, you know, he painted the whole picture. So I have them do the big, the long version, and then we start cutting it down into something that is bite-sized that people can remember. So we want to paint the whole picture. Everyone see the same picture. And this is the example I always give is if you look into your walls right now, find a picture on the wall. And if that you paint the picture to where people can see it, like they're looking at that picture on the wall, because then if you do that well enough, if it's hanging crooked, anyone in the company can walk by and straighten the picture. But you have to paint it really well to start with. So I, I, I capture these ideas. Is there something out there that can give me some guidance on what questions I should be trying to answer as I craft this vision? Well, the question is, where do we need to go? So, you know, if you think about, let me give you a great example. So in the early 70s, Bill Gates came up with the vision for Microsoft that said, we want to put a computer on every desk and in every home running Microsoft software. Now, if one, that's a good vision because I can see it. I, my co-author for the book, Simon Vetter, he always says that a vision should be visual. (laughs) Like we should be able to see it with our mind's eye. So Bill Gates, he paints this vision with his team. And remember, in the early 70s, you know, for those of us who were around, that um, no one had a computer on their desk or in their home in the early 70s, or almost no one. So this vision was way out there. But when I give talks and I ask the audience about, do you have one now? Almost everyone can say that they have a Microsoft product somewhere in their home or in their workplace. And so did he do it? Absolutely. They, you know, Microsoft did it. So that is where the example of taking the big picture, honing it down to something 
really tight and specific that everyone can see and everyone can remember. And that's a good, and it, you know, that's a lot of work up front. Then behind that, you'll build a strategy and everything else. But that front work takes a little bit of time. It's uncomfortable because it's a creative process. Yeah. And what, and, but, but go ahead. Well, and what about the emotional piece? So what I'm thinking about is I often tell people that, uh, that your intellect, the mind kind of tells you which direction to go, but the heart, the emotion is what actually is going to get you there is the piece that's going to mobilize you. So how do you take the vision that's visual, but also not just so that you can see it, but so that you can feel it? Right. Oh, that's a great point, Kyle. Because, you know, the second half of that competency that we're trying to build here, the ability to create a compelling vision and engage other people around it, that's the part you're talking about, the second part. Again, we have to spend time working with our teams and our employees trying to figure out what makes it compelling. And if it's not compelling to you, then it's not going to be compelling to them. So that's one piece. We also, people want to be on a train that's moving. So if it's, if you're not, if you don't have a little bit of tension into how fast we get there, that's also going to be a problem. But if you look at a company like uh, Patagonia, Yvonne Chouinard, he created a compelling vision. Now his vis vision is to create the best product and cause no unnecessary harm to the environment and to use business to um, give back and make a difference in environment. That's not the exact wording, obviously, but, but that's what he wanted to do. Use business to make a difference because he wanted to help and have an impact positively on the environment. So first of all, just by putting that out there, he's going to attract people who care about that. And today's workforce more than ever are, are not as moved by just making more money. They are looking for that place where they can truly connect. So I call it that having a soul. They need companies to have a soul. And so, you know, Yvonne Chouinard created a company with a soul. And he said, we had to have a workplace where people came to work on the balls of their feet, taking steps, taking the stairs two steps at a time. Now that's compelling. And so, you know, part of you, the question you, the leader should be asking is, what's going to make my employees take the steps two, time, two, two at a time on the way to work instead of on the way home? Yeah, I love that. That's a good first step. Yeah, I love that framing of, you know, how do I get people to want to come to work so bad uh, versus wanting to get off of work so bad. So when we're thinking about these pieces, one of the things that you mentioned was some kind of, and you didn't say these words, but something around some sense of kind of urgency that whatever's happening, whatever this vision is, there has to be some sense of like, we want this to happen now. We we need to get moving on this. Not not that it's this wonderful vision, but we all kind of sense that, oh, we can take our time making this happen. How do you develop that sense of urgency that this is something so big and important that we need to get work to work on it right now? So years ago, um, Bob Rosen, he's in Washington, D.C., he did a research study and, and he interviewed 500 CEOs. And from that work, he wrote this book called Just Enough Anxiety. 
and this is the best analogy that I've ever, you know, he gives, he, he puts words to this need better than anyone else that I've seen. But the general idea is this, that if you, you know, think of a rubber band. A rubber band isn't really helpful if there's not a little tension in it. If it's slack, it's not helpful. And when you think about organizations that do not have enough um, speed, performance, they feel slack, then what happens to the employees? Well, my experience is that they spend a lot of time gossiping, um, you know, becoming busy doing things they shouldn't be doing, you know, not doing anything, avoiding work. Like it, it's just sort of, it, they, they wander around. And that is not helpful for anyone. And why do we want to pay for that as, as leaders, as employers? So what we have to do is create some tension in the line. And that way we get everybody moving at the same pace. This is especially important when you're leading through change. Because if you don't lead through change at a quick pace, you will have people floundering and you will lose more people than you need to. Now, some people you're going to lose regardless but you'll lose too many. So what I tell leaders is you, you paint the picture and you say, this is the mountain we're going to take. See that mountain out that window? We're going to take that mountain and we're going to do it by sundown. That way, everybody's at a fast pace moving toward that. Now, not so fast you're you know, having people go to the doctor because they're so burned out, but at a pretty quick pace, we're going to take that mountain. And when you take that mountain, you celebrate, have a great time, and then you find the next mountain. Yeah, I like that a lot. I think um, when I think about leaders creating vision, I think that there's, we talked about this a little bit before too, but there's this sense of, or this worry, this fear that I'm going to create the wrong vision and that I'm going to scare people away from where I really want to take things. And sometimes that overlooks the idea of creating a specific enough and compelling enough vision to attract people who really want that. How do you as a leader overcome that fear of scaring people away versus recognize that by creating the right vision, you're going to attract people who truly resonate with that and are going to give you uh, what you need to actually make that vision reality? Mm-hmm. So uh, two things. I know you d- your audience has a lot of entrepreneurs, so you probably have a, a um, broad up. Uh, a bigger group of people who would fall into the category you're talking about in my world uh, where I work primarily, which is in these larger companies, I actually experienced the other thing where I can't get them to dream big enough. You know, they're too afraid of getting outside of the lines. However, so the entrepreneurs, I can understand what you're saying because you know, that, that happens to me. Like I'm a big thinker. I want to be sure that I don't get so far out there that I can't bring anybody with me. But at the same time, you, you don't want to leave with your dreams still in you. So think about um, Richard Branson. You know, Richard Branson is a great example of someone who puts their vision out there and they do it. He does it in a way that he attracts the right kind of people. So like with his company, Virgin Galactic, he came up with the concept uh, or the vision of opening space and making it accessible and safe. Now, that is a big, maybe scary vision. So 
he starts painting that picture. Now, probably when he first started painting the picture, he had a lot of people saying, you're absolutely nuts. But then, you know, science and technology starts to catch up with the vision. And then we think, you know, he might not be nuts. He might do this. And so he puts the team together. And what I love about what Richard did on this is he puts this team together. And then in he has all these engineers, technicians and everything. He gets them totally compelled. So they're all working on this. And in 2014, they had a space shuttle crash. And they lost their pilot. And his name was Mike Alsbury. So they lost their pilot. Richard Branson was devastated. He almost quit. And the employees surrounded him. And, and they are the ones who talked to him in staying. They said, don't quit. We believe in this. And we knew it was going to cost us something to be able to do this. This is important for our future. And they talked him into it. And that's the power of a compelling vision is, you know, even leaders have days when we don't know if we can go on. But if you have a compelling vision, your employees will help you through that. Yeah, I mean, I, that speaks to the power that you just said, you know, the power of a truly compelling vision that people want to be a part of. Yes. I loved the uh, the little one-liner you dropped in there, which was, you don't want to leave with your dreams still in you. Mm-hmm. I think that's a, a powerful personal mantra as well as organizational. You know, do you want to get to the next place in life with your with your dreams still in you? Absolutely. I mean, let's let's live flat out. We only get one chance at this. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> uh, so before we jumped on the podcast, you mentioned that you grew up on a, a large farm in, in Oklahoma, right? Mm-hmm. Correct. How has that shaped your perception of the world and how does it influence the way that you see these things? Well, it obviously had a huge impact on me. Um, one thing, you know, I talk about my dad, who was my favorite visionary leader, and he was really great at painting the picture of the future and he would use that ability to help us through very difficult times so we would have times as if if anyone's lived grew up on a farm you know you know you can have a weather year that will wipe out your crops and you don't know if you're going to make it you know you may have to close it down sell all the farms and go get jobs and and usually farmers and people who live that life they don't want to give up that life it's a great life And so that really has shaped my future because I understood what it looked like to pull people through difficult times from early on. And then the other is just the extreme hard work. You know, we we worked very hard. And so that that also helps. And for your entrepreneur audience, I love this. I don't even remember who said it, but someone said, you know, I'm going to win because I'm not afraid to die on the treadmill. And the the story was that he said, you know, we're going to get on the treadmill. And if we were competing, you know, there's going to come some point where you're going to say, if I keep going, I'm going to die. And he said, but I'm not going, I'm not going to give up just because I think I might die. I'm not, you know, I'm not afraid to die on the treadmill. So I'm going to win this contest. And, and, you know, I, I just say that sort of jokingly because it's just that hard work ethics. Like I'm not afraid to work really hard to pass you and to be able to succeed in this business, whichever business you have. So that was an important piece. And then the last piece that I think I got from that growing up in Western Oklahoma is just extreme practicality. 
you know, I don't come at coaching from an academic mindset, even though I'm highly educated. I come at it from this practical stance and I don't bring just my, you know, psychology and counseling to the work, to the work that I do. I bring my whole self, which is much more strategic than that. And so we, when we, I almost call what I do, I tell them, I said, it's really more like leadership strategy because it's much more than just coaching. So, you know, those are the, probably the three biggest things I brought from that background. Yeah. I love that. I, I, um, I actually spend a ton of time on my family's farm growing up. Um, and I, I've never thought about some of those things in that way, but I could definitely see the visionary piece mm-hmm. of literally, you know, standing on the hillside, looking over our family's farm and my grandpa, you know, just literally laying out what he thought the future looked like. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was always doing that. Uh, and I'd never kind of put that together, but he, that was his life was, that was constantly creating. Leadership. Yeah. Yes, yeah, it was. absolutely. I mean, he was colorblind, so sometimes the picture wasn't right. But. <laughs> well, and you know that you bring up a great point because your grandfather right there was a visionary leader. So you don't have to be running a Fortune 500 company to be a visionary leader. You can be a visionary leader in your family, in your in your nonprofit, you know, in your community. And people really innately need leadership. So, you know, I always tell people, if you see a leadership gap, step in it. Yeah. Well, so I I love the idea of being a visionary leader within your family. How do you do that within your family? I mean, what what does a family need for a vision? Well, we can do through positive times and through negative times. So if you think about through positive times, it's just who are we going to be as a family? So, you know, we always try to paint the picture of, you know, this is the way we are because, you know, in my family growing up, because you're a Tim's. So I carried that into my own family. And when I would talk to my children when they were young, I would say, we don't do that because we're Hagemans. That's not how Hagemans behave. So it's sort of always painting that shaping the picture of who we are. And then I, my children, you know, both have sat across my table all their lives. And if they say, you know, well, actually, I joke about this because my son actually did say he was going to go into middle management. And I told him, well, you must have been born in the wrong house because, you know, if you're sitting across my kitchen table, I'm assuming you're going for CEO or CFO or C-suite at least. And so, you know, they, they catch that vision and both of them are planning for high level positions in business. So, you know, that's the positive side. And then on the negative side, there is, you know, every family goes through tragedy, through struggles, you know, and, and you have to paint the vision for that as well. So, for example, if your family is going through a divorce situation, then it's very important for those parents to paint the picture of what this family is going to look like in the future so that they're not just devastated about this big gap in their lives. But they're saying, you know, listen, when your wedding comes, this is how I see it happening. You know, I'm going to call your dad and we're going to get together and we're going to plan this and we're going to put our funds together and we're going to fund this. We're going to celebrate together. We are still going to be a family. It's just going to look different. Yeah, I I think as you were talking, one thing that came to my mind is this idea of for families, putting these decisions and experiences that you're having as as a unit into some sort of context Mm -hmm. uh, and ideally context around some goals or some bigger, deeper, deeper meaning. Um, 
you know, so we're doing this because we see this in the future. We want this to happen in the future. We're mm-hmm. going through this because of this context. So I think for maybe in a family situation, something that's meaningful is asking, uh, or at least as a parent, trying to put those things into a meaningful context for your children. Otherwise, it's just kind of disconnected experiences mm-hmm. for them, and they may not actually see the picture. They may not actually connect what's happening today with this context that we're trying to create. You know, that ties in. I hadn't really thought about what you're saying as far as families, but it ties in the same with leadership at work. You know, I always tell the leaders, they can't read your mind. Like you have to get what the, all the reasoning behind what you just did out of your mouth. And so you're right. It works the same way in families. That's really good. Yeah. And so I, I, I've talked to leaders in, on a similar vein about when they go through these activities, especially strategy activities, um, and I, I th- would say, think it applies to vision as well. They spend so much time in their own head coming up with answers to these things and creating definitions to terms and the way that they see it. But then when they go communicate it to staff or to others, they only give them just a piece. They don't give them all of the context and the time that it took for them to get to that place. Mm -hmm. And yet they expect their people to be in the same place. And so they cut off so much of the context. They say, hey, you know what? We're going to be one of our strategies this year is to be more efficient. But they don't give them any context around what what that, that leader actually means by efficiency. You know, and it took them a week, two weeks, a month to actually create that idea around what efficiency meant and looked like in their organization. And yet they only give them the word. Mm-hmm. And so I have talked to a lot of leaders about you've got to give them, you've got to help them get to where you are, recognizing that it took you X amount of time to get there. And you're asking them to get there in a 30 minute meeting. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah, I think, I think that's an excellent point. So you know, leaders can, um, I, I always call it message fatigue. So message fatigue is when the leader thinks that they've said it, but the, and they're sort of feel like even maybe they're tired of saying it because they feel like they've said it quite a bit. But when you start digging, you find that the employees don't really have it yet. And, and then we also have to be careful for message clarity. So for example, you know, I might get tired of saying the message or painting that picture the same way. So I start to paint it different ways. And then what we find is we get static in the line. And now the picture isn't as clear as it used to be. So once, yeah. once we paint that picture, we have to stick to the message and we can, and get really clear about what we're going to say, how we're going to say it, and how we want that cascaded down through the organization. Yeah, I could see that for sure. So with all of this talk about vision, Bonnie, what's your vision? What's your future? Interesting question. So I have to keep growing. I, that's my whole mantra in life is, you know, I continually growing and it's, I've been running Executive Development Associates for about 10 years now. Before that, I ran another consulting firm before we acquired EDA. And so I, you know, I'm at that place where I want to grow as well. So in 2012, we started building a technology company. Just early stage is where we are right now, but we started putting that idea together. We've had several pivots and expansions and all of that, but we have it down now. And so I, 
am leading two companies. I have a technology company and I'm learning to be a technology leader. That's what I'm doing right now. And we are building a, a, a platform that is designed to make culture visible to senior executives, the board and private equity. And so that's my vision. And we're work, we, the two companies are very symbiotic. We'll, I will keep EDA and our vision for that is that we, that we make um, your, your leaders a strategic advantage for your company. So using trends and executive development to, to create your strategic advantage is the actual phrase. But I, those are the two visions for the two companies and I'm leading them both. Sounds like really exciting stuff. Exciting work. I like it. Yes. Thank you. So I'd like to so hear what yours, you, Kyle. Uh, so I have, uh, my listeners probably know this. I have four words that, uh, that I constantly reflect on. And so they are to dream. Well, so it's ponder, dream, inspire, and able. And those are the four words that I kind of base my, my vision, my life, my mantra on. Um, I love to ponder life's problems. That's why I run a research and evaluation firm. I love to ponder solutions, um, but pondering them isn't enough for me. It's where my mind goes, but it's not enough for me. So I constantly dream about this vision piece. Mm -hmm. What would it actually look like if we were to solve these things, if we were to come up with solutions to these problems, um, if we were to create this thing? Mm -hmm. So I go from pondering to dreaming. Once I have a dream in my mind, something that I see clearly, I want to inspire others to be a part of it. I want to inspire others to bring it into their own lives, their own organizations, so that they can experience what I feel this dream is. And then the last piece is I want to actually enable people to do something with it. I want them to be able to carry it forward in practicable and actionable ways. And so those are the four things I always go back to, ponder, dream, inspire, enable. I like it. Exciting. Yeah. So if people want to catch up with you, if they want to see where all of this is headed, obviously you have the book Leading with Vision. Where else can they find you? So you can find me at executivedevelopment.com. That's probably the easiest. On LinkedIn is also a good place to find me. Amazon.com for the books and research and SurveySource for the tech company. Fantastic. Love it. Bonnie, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast today. It's been a pleasure having you. Thank you, Kyle. All right, folks, that is another episode of the Art of Strategic Reaction. Thank you to Bonnie for sharing with us a ton of principles about vision, how to create vision, and the power that having a strong vision can have for you and your organization. I will catch you on the next episode.